everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This episode continues our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, ancient epics known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snack ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. This week, Lexi and I look at possibly the most bizarre film either of us have ever experienced, Odysseus, Voyage to the Underworld. Not only does this have Greek mythology, there's also a surprising amount of Christian symbolism and vampires thrown in just for fun. It was a wild ride, it's not necessarily something I would do again, but we watched it so you don't have to. So, I want to get into this version of the Odyssey. Can we even call it a version of the Odyssey? Is that a reasonable thing to do? I'm not sure it is. The Extended Adventures of Odysseus. Yes, having seen it before, I know exactly what happened. But since you have not, and this is your first time, why don't you enlighten everyone with what you thought? Okay, so we open and there's a, an aged nan writing things out and like, okay, this is Homer. Homer of Ith- Ithaca, apparently, which is spectacular. So he's chattering away and writing things and you're like, oh, cool, this is like a retrospective writing of the Odyssey. And then it cuts to a very young Homer on the ship with Odysseus and you think, oh, interesting. Why not? Let's go with it. Let's absolutely go with it. And they open with the episode of the sirens. So everyone gets whacked in their ears, Odysseus is tied to the mast, and then they get shipwrecked. And there's a guy called Christos. There's some very, very strange Christian undertone currents running through this whole movie. And this was the first thing where I was like, this is odd. And he has the power of second sight because of course he does, why not? And he's very, very upset and telling everyone we're all going to die, this place reeks of death. I'm not coming with you, essentially. And he just stays on the beach and everyone, well, fuck you then. And Odysseus accuses him of cowardice and one of the other soldiers says, no, 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 Christos is a courageous, brave man and he's always right. And you find out later that he warned them about the Cyclops a full day's march before they arrived. I didn't realize they marched to the Cyclops, but never mind. let's again, just go with it. So you realise, okay, well, this guy is definitely blessed with second sight, so there's going to be something appalling happening. And then they're attacked by these flying bat-like things, and you're like, sirens? No. Harpies? Also no. Who knows? Like giant, giant bats that kind of attack everyone and start eating people, and then this hooded figure arrives. This mysterious hooded figure arrives, and Odysseus is like, be you beast or man or god, and she brings down her hood, and it's a beautiful woman, because again, of course it is. And I was thinking to myself, is this Circe? This is a really weird way to meet Circe, but maybe it is. Is it Calypso? Probably not Calypso. Must be Circe. And it's a little mysterious and weird, and I keep expecting them to be turned into animals, because that's what Circe does and it never actually happens and she keeps being very mysterious and they strike a bargain where if they take her off the island 
that she's stuck on, where these weird bat creatures are, then she will essentially keep the bat creatures away, because apparently when she sings, they fuck off. Okay, cool. Weird reverse sirening going on here, but okay, so she's the siren who lured them all to the beaches. She's the reason that everyone else died. Okay, but somehow her song also keeps the monsters away. Okay, fine. Well, again, we go with it. We just keep accepting all of the bizarreness and just keep rolling on. And then you find out she's Persephone. Who, who the fuck knows why? Fallen goddess. Yes, fallen goddess. Marooned on this fucking island with massive bat creatures. And Athena does show up. So Athena is, is the person who kind of clues Odysseus into all this. Odysseus, by the way, is a dick. He's not got the smart, comical cunning persona that so many of the Odysseuses have. He's just mean and keeps telling everyone that they're cowards and, and Athena has to actually tell him at some point, look, remember how you tricked your way into Troy? You remember? You didn't just beat them up with the bigger army. You used your brain, dude. Remember that bit and do that bit again here. And he's like, oh yeah, I could do that. Great idea, Athena. Thank you. So anyway, it turns out that for some reason Persephone is marooned there, well not for some reason, she rose up from the underworld and wanted to take over the world of mortals as well. So the god said, no thank you friend, marooned her on an island and these bat creatures are her guardians, her children, it, I'm a little bit unclear honestly as to what they are but they eat people, so don't go near those. So the point of Odysseus being there is the gods want him to kill Persephone. Why not? Sure. Okay, cool. Yes, let's do that. Because no one else can do it. All of the gods are too scared of her. They're like, we'll just leave her on an island. It's great. But there's this magical weapon that they used to trap her called the Hellfire Cross. The Hellfire Cross, thank you. I was like, it's another weird Christian thing. The Hellfire Cross, <laughs> which is not a cross like a flaming anything, as one might have expected, is a golden sword. And there's a scene of Persephone like trying to pull it out of a rock because for some reason it's also King Arthur. She's trying to pull it out of the rock and it burns her hands and so obviously she can't get it. For some reason she wants it, I'm assuming because it's powerful, but that's not really explained. So Athena's like, yes, Odysseus, you must find the Hellfire Cross and stab her through the heart with it, because that is the only way that you can kill her and stop the world from succumbing to her evil. And he's like, okay, yes, totally feasible for me to just kill a goddess. Absolutely, let's go for it. And at some point, uh, Persephone comes to Odysseus in the middle of the night, except she's Penelope, and tricks him into thinking that his wife is just randomly on this island with him. So they have sex, because of course they do, and then he wakes up and sits next to Penelope and says, essentially, you know where you fucked up? You didn't age. It's like my memories have come to life. I'm like, you didn't think about this before? You had sex with the random goddess sorceress who's trying to kill you? You knew, so you knew who she was before because she's your wife when you left like 10 years ago. So you knew that it wasn't your wife because she would have been 20 years older. So therefore it's probably the evil goddess that you're charged with murdering and you still have sex with her. This does not seem like a smart move. And it turns out it wasn't a smart move because now she's pregnant with his son. So that's a, another added layer of, of complication. And she asks him to marry her, well, no, to be her consort. And he's like, I am king. And she said, you could be like my consort and rule over all of mankind. Or you could go back to your mortal wife and be king of Ithaca. Think about that for just, just one second. 
And he's like, no, 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 screw you. I'm going home. So that doesn't happen. Christos turns up again, by the way. He comes running through the forest wearing a necklace of bones. And he says that his second sight told him that he, if he covers himself in death, then he will survive. And the monsters will run away and they won't see him. He'll be invisible. And Persephone's like, ah, it's cursed. Snatches his skull necklace and throws it away. And then he gets eaten almost instantly by a giant bat creature. So poor Christos. He was the only sane one of the bunch. And through the whole thing, Homer is there as a youngish man, writing everything down and being really excited and, and this is amazing and I'm getting in on the action and I want to write down all of the king's great adventures. And I'm like, sweetheart, you're 12. What are you doing? How did you get here for starters? Because you are not old enough to have sailed from Ithaca with Odysseus to Troy, fought in Troy and then sailed all the way back, taking the 20 years we've already discussed. You are too young. So either you're a Trojan that they just decided to bring home with them, or you just magically appeared on the boat one day. And the way this story is going, I am, I'm taking the latter option. I think he just magically appeared because it makes about as much sense as anything else that we've been seeing at all. So, I mean, the upshot of it is they kind of wear these burial shrouds to sneak past the giant bat creatures into the cave where the Hellfire Cross is. And, and one of Odysseus's compatriots pulls it out of the rock, which was a bad move because then all the bat creatures wake up because, of course, they sleep right next to the Hellfire Cross in the same cave. And 500 of them wake up and Odysseus's friend is like, Odysseus, take the cross and just becomes shirtless for some unknown reason and starts attacking all of the bats to give Odysseus and Homer a chance to escape. Anyway, they kill Persephone. It's not really very sad because she's an appalling actress and I, I felt nothing. Sorry, Lexi is cracking up. You can't see it if you're listening to this as a podcast. Lexi is just cracking up throughout my entire narration of this. So I think I'm doing a good job. But they kill Persephone and then magically they're boat appears. We don't know how or why. It just sails back to the beach and then they go home. I mean, you don't really know what the hell happens after that. We hope they go home. But my god, that was, it's the craziest, like genuinely one of the craziest films I have seen, I think ever. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm enjoying telling you about it far more than I enjoyed watching it. I didn't find it a terribly enjoyable film. I was just confused and then infuriated and then confused some more. But I'm enjoying the venting and the ranting. So that's that's a bonus. If you do watch this and you are familiar with the Odyssey, I recommend watching it with a friend and then you can just rant to each other while you do so. Anyway, Lexi, those are my thoughts. That's the whole the whole show, really. What what did you think? After that rant, I feel like you need to describe the plot of every single book or film <laughs> or TV show ever that I watch based on ostensibly the ancient world. We can because that was <laughs> because that was fantastic. <laughs> so I will just say, hey audience members, if you loved that as much as I did, send us an email, let us know, head us up on social media because if you want Megan to literally recap her version of anything that we are covering on the podcast at the beginning of an episode, please let us know because I kind of want her to do that. So let's keep this going. It's cathartic. 
It is very cathartic. So what I'm going to start with is tell you about how I first discovered the film. We haven't said what the film is called. Oh, my God. Oh, well, this is Odysseus, Voyage to the Underworld. And really the clue is in the title that it's nothing to do with the Odyssey, but I was hopeful. And that was that was foolish, very foolish. It's very misleading. But the funny part is that I was in high school. I think it was between freshman and junior year. I feel like I was either a freshman or a sophomore. I was at my dad's house and I'd fallen asleep on the couch in our TV room. And I woke up and it was one in the morning. And this film was playing on sci-fi. I, I came in halfway through. They were already on the Island of the Mist. I had no idea what was going on. I was very confused. But I woke up at, you know, one in the morning and I was like, hey, this is vaguely, mildly, shittily entertaining. Let's just keep watching. So I watched the second half of the film and I go, hmm, well, I'd like to know what happened at the beginning because this is really confusing Enough as it is, but like half of the thing. Confusing is absolutely the word. <gasps> I forgot the best part. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I have to break in here. So the film ends back with Homer, who has this magical sword just hanging on his wall. And he's describing these creatures and you're like, holy shit, this is the birth of the vampire. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Which plays back because when they disguise themselves in burial shrouds, Homer's like, it smells of garlic and death. And you just think, oh, good <laughs> lord. Okay, yes, I see where this is going. And it does indeed go there, because at the end, Homer's like, giant bat creatures, and, and you think, well, yeah, and they, they drink blood, because at some point they drink blood from a pit that Odysseus hides in and then jumps out and kills them. It's quite gross. Don't watch this with your own four-year-olds, by the way. Mine loved it, but I deeply regret putting it on with him in the same room. And then at the end, right after Homer has, has done his touching of the magic sword, and it's all very meaningful, one of the Greeks who was killed by these bat creatures, the camera kind of pans back to him still on the island, and he stands up and his eyes are like bright blue and glaring. He's got these like massive teeth, far bigger than what you generally think of for vampires. They are like saber-toothed tiger fangs. And then he kind of crouches down and then... F leaps up and he's a giant bat thing and you think oh so somehow somehow we've got the odyssey except it's not the odyssey with a mad goddess at the underworld and vampires and some very bizarre christian symbolism <laughs> what and i cannot emphasize this enough what the fuck just happened <laughs> sorry lexi you were telling us the story of how you came to watch this bizarre experience <laughs> this bizarre film so i watched until like three in the morning and i was like okay that was vaguely entertaining now i'm gonna go back to sleep i didn't kind of know how i was gonna find the film again whatever luckily sci-fi decided that they were going to air it like a week later on the same day and my dad had a tivo box i know that's so old but he had a tivo box and so i basically set it to record and so then i was able to watch the whole thing after i'd recorded it the, the following week that didn't really help my understanding sort of vaguely but so i watched it and then i kind of never forgot about it just because it is so strange and especially after i read the odyssey and majored in classics that i've always kept it in the back of my mind just because it was such a jarring thing to wake up to at one in the morning i always knew i'd want to come back to it and, and i hoped that in doing it this time 
it would either make more sense or maybe I would see things that would give me a greater appreciation. It seems like it wants to be an ode to some of the sort of kitschy Jason and the Argonauts stop motion Clash of the Titans type thing, but instead of, you know, using stop motion animation, which looks kitschy but it could have been forgiven as it owed to these older films yeah they go with this like weird cg yeah the bat things are to me they're like a giant bat mixed with a gargoyle yeah they look like gargoyles i feel like this is a movie that would be good to watch while drunk with a group of friends at 3 a.m yes you can just yell at the screen you're not going to miss any meaningful dialogue or indeed plot because who the hell knows where the plot goes i think it would be a lot of fun to do it that way I would have enjoyed that. Yeah, when we're in the same country, we should have a, a viewing party with some kind of alcohol. Oh, also, I think I've worked out one of the reasons why I dislike this Odysseus so much. Apart from the fact that he's just, he's, yeah. He's boring. He is boring. There are better Odysseuses. It's just that he takes himself too seriously. There's no levity. I mean, the only character who supposedly brings any levity is young Homer. And even then, he's like bumbling and kind of little kid. They all take themselves entirely too seriously for such a bizarre film. But Odysseus is played by the same actor who played the bad guy in the Mummy movies with Brendan Fraser. Right, yeah. Which is why yes, one, of, yeah. one of the reasons why I don't like him, because I saw his face and I was like, oh, I don't like you. And this is why, because in my brain, he's a bad guy. You know, it's funny because all those years ago, I didn't pick up on a lot of the sort of christian undertones this time though i was like oh dear god they kind of smack you in the face yeah it's like is this some kind of christian indoctrination like what is this really the seers christos and okay i have a soft spot for christos only because the actor who plays him is actually the voice actor of Alexios <gasps> in the Assassin's Creed Odyssey. No! Did you recognize him? No, I didn't. And see, now I have to go and watch it again, at least the bits with Christos. And I do think Christos was probably my favorite character because he was so wildly over the top that actually it was kind of fun to watch him. And I felt bad when he got eaten by a giant bat creature. Because he tried the hardest to survive. He did. He was, like, burying himself in a grave every time he found them so that they wouldn't see him wearing bones and... And he warns everyone and they were like, fuck off, Christos, you're a coward. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Christos. I appreciated the necklace of bones. That was just great. That's a great accessory. I kind of want one, to be honest. I know. Can I get one for Halloween? It's almost October. Halloween. I feel like modern bone necklaces are entirely too refined. The bones are too small. Like, he was wearing a whole ribcage around his neck. <laughs> it's a whole ribcage. No biggie. But, yeah, so I I've known that it's Alexios. So, but he's Greek-Canadian, for those of you who don't know. And he doesn't have, like, a characteristically Greek accent. So he sounds completely Canadian. So in the game, he's asked to do that sort of over-the-top Greek. So it's pretty easy to miss who it is just because you see this dude and he has the longish hair and the makeup is weird. Half the time he looks like a ghost or someone who just got baking powder in his face. It was weird. So that's Alexios. So worth a watch if you want to see his work because he's a fun actor. <laughs> I always think it's so funny how your sirens are not the sirens, but instead it's Persephone's weird music call and then so she acts as a lure and then her like 
Well, she calls the bat creatures my children. So I'm going to just say they're her children. So her children then are the ones who come and attack all the sailors. And, well, I, I also was like, why are there only like five people who survive this thing? I feel like there was more, but okay. So yeah, five of them. And then there's that weird first day evening where you think they're going to be fine because they're just camping out on this random beautiful island. And then you get this really odd sequence where they're like, two arms, two arms, uh, just stab the sky. And then they just start stabbing anywhere, just slashing wildly. This seems to be an ineffective battle strategy, gentlemen. Just put the shields together and hide under it. But no, they stand oddly apart and just poke up. I was very confused by that. Although I wasn't as confused as when they awake in the morning, everyone has some horrible Yeah, they're all like half wound. dead. And someone is actively being eaten. But Odysseus is like the only one who's not wounded. So he just sort of wakes up and then throws something at the creature and then it like notices him. And then he does this weird thing where he just lies on his back and just goes, I am ready for death. Penelope, my love. Like, what? What are you doing? You have a sword. Yeah, and I was like, this is not... Okay. And then, yeah, mysterious woman comes, and not only does she just kind of stroll out of there in some billowy, cool-looking cape, which I did. I actually love the cape. Her costumes are pretty nice. I like her cape and dress combination. I do. It's so nice. So I do want that one. But regardless, yeah, she comes out, and then she just kind of brings her arms up and stretches her arms out wide, and I'm like, what the hell is this? And then it's like she's conducting an orchestra where she's like, ooh, like bringing her hands forward and back. And then suddenly, everyone is healed. Everything melts away, and I'm like, what in the actual fuck is happening oh and then my favorite weird ridiculous thing is she has a haven that she brings the guys to and of course because of course it is it's the one place there's a literal safety zone on the island okay it's like a school safe zone where the beasts cannot reach us here you're safe and I'm like what really Honey? Oh, okay. Safe zone. And then doesn't she turn into one of them and kill one of the guys in the haven? And then they're like, we thought this was a safe zone. He was in the haven. And she's like, someone must have broken the curse. It absolutely wasn't me at all. No. Yeah, she, yeah, she was just like, one of you must have done it. And then was it... Oh, oh, it was... It was Homer, because when they killed one of the bat creatures, they found a ring in the, in the dust. Right, the story is it belongs to one of the other men, and the creature must have taken it from him. But actually, now, it's like, you know that they're vampires, so maybe that was their friend who still had his own ring with this giant wooden stake through the heart. It's not subtle. But Homer takes the ring, and then Persephone's like, oh, it's cursed, and he flings it into the undergrowth. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe this for one second. No, not believable. Although the digging of the trench was hilarious, even though gross. But you could tell it's like 
it's filled with literal red paint because I'm like, okay, blood would never be that red. It was like so red. You literally are swimming in red paint because I don't know what to describe that color of, of red. So they dig a trench for Odysseus to fill with blood and Odysseus hides in it and waits for one of the creatures. How he's breathing, no one knows. It's a mystery. But then the creature flies in and starts drinking the blood from this pit and Homer, for some reason, is in a tree directly above them and what throws a stone down so Odysseus knows that now is the time to leap out of this pit covered in blood ostensibly but yes absolutely red paint because it's like scarlet and stab the creature through the heart with his wooden spear thingy. Although they did put in at some point sort of when they first get to the Isle of the Mist after they get to the safe haven they did include something about the Cyclops which I, was more than I thought they were going to do because we definitely don't see the Cyclops episode, but they literally have, and it's not even Homer. Someone telling it to Homer. Yeah, and explaining the entire thing in their, like, what, two-minute version? I think they did. I think they did a reasonable job. I mean, yeah, they got it. It was, it was so weird. What did you think of the end where they killed Persephone? And before her untimely demise, she says to Homer, oh, poor Homer, millions would have read your work because she's about to kill him and I'm like that's that's quite funny actually I like that bit I did too you know the end is just so trippy because everyone is dead except for Odysseus and Homer and one other guy who I have an issue with I take issue with his armor throughout the entire thing because he's like this very muscly dude and he's wearing just like one sheet of leather across him but it's like a bro tank but ancient because there's no covering you can see up the sides and I, i'm very confused i'm just like okay yeah. even at that time in history um they had more than just that to protect them so i was very confused but well so so you don't see her which is odd because you would think that since she's so hell-bent on the Hellfire Cross. You would think that she's like in the cave or with the children. Yeah, she's mysteriously absent. And so they just like do their thing. Two of them run out and you get this great shot of their backs from the camera. And then you see them like whip around and suddenly she's right there. And I was like, well, where the fuck were you? Just literally two minutes ago. Uh, what What is going on here? Also, something again, th this whole thing was just confusion all the way through but something else that really did confuse me was when they wrapped themselves in the burial shrouds to like cover themselves in death and be invisible to the monsters why did they then keep hiding behind rocks like they creep through the beach and if there was a monster they'd run to the nearest rock and crouch down they can't see you in your burial shroud things no why are we hiding behind rocks also but maybe they didn't entirely trust Christos, so then they were like We'll do true. it and as an extra precaution. But because the thing is, they had these shrouds, but they weren't bones. The argument was ostensibly, well, if you smell like death. And I'm like, okay, well, I suppose, but also I'm kind of like, well, bones smell like death in the way that not just some random black cloaks will. But okay, sure. I did wonder what, I call them burial shrouds. It's never really explained what they are. They find, they find them on the beach with some skeletons. So... Is it just like the proximity to dead people means that they are now death cloaks? Yes, not sure. It's unclear. It's unclear. Also, where are they? Are we in the underworld when this happens? Because the title is Voyage to the Underworld, but 
how did they get there if it is the underworld and if it's not the underworld why do they keep saying that persephone's like whole world is shrouded in death ostensibly so no it's not in the underworld that much i got it's the isle of the mists is what the island is called so the the story goes and you get this from athena i think in the backstory that when she escaped from the underworld and the other gods found out they imprisoned her on the island bound by the hellfire cross so basically as long as the cross was like in the stone a la excalibur that's what was keeping her stuck on the island okay and by them taking it out of the stone she's free and so yeah so she could leave but she wanted to kill off the men before she left why did the gods get i know that they wanted him to kill her and the hellfire cross was the only way to do it but if she's bound there and cannot leave while the cross is in the giant stone thing, why risk taking this, the cross out? Because it was the only thing that could kill her. If you didn't lure Odysseus there to impregnate her, then there would have been no danger of her having some kind of mortal servant to do her bidding. Yeah, but the other thing that I gathered was that, well, one, you can't leave because the creatures will come and get you ostensibly. So if you want to stop the creatures, you have to kill her. So to kill her, you have to free the cross. But also, if they could have left, that's not good for the rest of the world because since she was the siren, she would keep luring all these mortals like she had before and after and someone who's not apparently is worthy to kill her. I don't even know what... Whatever. But... Yeah, she. If they had left, then she would have been the the, the siren to, to lure people consistently to their death. And I'm sure the gods were like, "Nah, just stop the cycle." That makes sense. Thank you. I'm glad that I have you here to explain the plot of this movie to me, because apparently the movie itself did not do a good enough job. You're welcome. But also, I have seen it before, so I was able to pay attention this time to details that I wouldn't otherwise. Mm -hmm. Because if I was watching this for the first time, I think I would have just been jaw on the floor from just the more ridiculous moments why do you think they included such strong biblical references this is this is greek mythology i mean christos by himself was weird but you know okay forgiven people have names it happens but it was clearly a choice and then vampires and a magic cross sword that they do refer to as the cross at several points so that was clearly a choice also i have no idea i don't know it didn't add anything to the movie i was just very confused <laughs> is this is this okay, making well, Greek mythology mean... palatable to evangelicals i doubt mm. it but i can't think of another reason why we would randomly shoehorn christianity into it i mean hey you're the out of the two of us, you're more knowledgeable about the whole biblical scholarship. <laughs> so I don't want to even touch the, the, the Christian references, but I was like, hey, I hope you could spot a reason for all of these deliberate choices. I'm still struggling to find a reason for taking the Odyssey, which is a long and varied story with multiple different points that would have made a great movie just by themselves. And instead of doing that, making something up and saying oh hey guys look there's this extra bit that for some reason homer didn't write down even though he was there and personally witnessed so let's tell that story instead hmm it seems like another instance of the filmmakers wanted to make 
the film they wanted to make and just used Greek mythology and Greece as the background. It makes me wonder, and another film that kind of does this is Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which I love. It's a fantastic movie and has echoes of the Odyssey kind of strung through it, but no one who wrote the movie had actually read the Odyssey when they wrote it. So it's a movie based on the Odyssey by people who have not actually read the Odyssey. I feel like this movie kind of fits into the same category. Like, it's kind of based on the Odyssey in that the main character is the same and it's telling the story of him trying to get home to his wife and, and son. But I don't think anyone involved in that film had actually read the Odyssey. No, I don't remember hearing anyone had read it. So that was strange. It's an odd choice to me to make a movie based on an ancient story. And I'm not saying go and read the original Greek. Absolutely not. But like, read the crib notes version, surely. We have, a, we have literally like a hundred different English translations. You could even read the spark note version if you really wanted to be lazy. You could, perfect. Like, I definitely don't endorse doing it, but... Just read an English translation. It's lovely. But I suppose if you are a busy movie producer, just read the Sparknotes version, honey. You you will get all the info you need. Sure. Or, like, send um, the script to a classicist. Even, even a classicist who's in high school. And say, hi, how dumb is this? And then they will tell you, this is so fucking dumb. And then you can say, oh, I, maybe we should not do this. Maybe we should consult an expert in ancient literature and ask them mm. if maybe there's a story somewhere in the Odyssey that would be worth televising instead of like, why Persephone? Really? I just, what the hell is going on there? I don't know. I mean, people like to villainize her for some reason, but I'm like, but she was kidnapped. Mm. She was stolen. She's the victim. So I, okay. I'm very confused. And at least name her Circe. Exactly. If you want to do this beautiful woman holding men hostage thing, that's in the Odyssey. In two different places, in fact. Two places. And Circe is a great character. And there are men turning into animals, so you don't have to do the weird vampire bats. I mean, then you would have a harder time like, shoving Christianity into the plot somewhere. <laughs> so may maybe that's why they did it, so that they could be some kind of, like, Jesus stuff <laughs> going on in the background. I don't, I don't fucking know. But Cersei, great story, great plot, men turning into <laughs> animals, Odysseus being seduced by a beautiful woman. It's got it all, but no, we had to invent something. Sorry, this whole thing is just an extended rant. I don't even have problems with people adding to ancient stories, because it can be very interesting. Just do it well. This could have been mm -hmm. really interesting. It could have started with Odysseus looking, like doing the underworld thing with Circe, like he does, and somehow he goes to the underworld and discovers that, oh my God, Persephone is, is plotting to overthrow men. And, and like, there's a story there. If you really, really have to insert something, just do it well. This was so shittily done. It makes me cry. <laughs> And laugh. Do you think it was impacted by the time in which it was made? Because this came out in 2008, mm. I believe. 
Because I don't think this would have been made no. now, or if it were, it would have been made very differently. But 2008, that was a little before the sort of renaissance of classical material. Yeah, absolutely. It's a B-movie and it feels like a B-movie. And maybe I went in expecting too much from it. I do think if it was made now with the resurging interest in the classics and in ancient history in general and the ancient world and ancient stories, I, th I think it probably would have been a very, very different movie. Possibly still not good, mm. but I think it would have been. May maybe someone in there would have read The Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of suffers from the time in which it was made, unfortunately. Also, the plot and the script, I think they definitely hampered the creation. The script was just awful. It was just awful. Like, it was so bland. Even their attempts at humor kind of fell flat. There might have been one time where I kind of giggled a bit, but otherwise I was like, eh, okay. Just, like, move on. This isn't funny. It's very much a product of its time. And the good part about waking up to it at one in the morning was that I had no expectations of it. So I remember that first time. I was actually quite entertained. And I didn't regret watching it at one in the morning. Because I didn't have expectations. I didn't know what the hell was going on. So I felt it was like, yeah, okay, it's like kitschy and whatever. But no, no, no. I was like, okay, it's actually entertaining. So I think I was more charitable after the first time that I watched it. Or even the second time when I saw the whole thing. This time, just because of my experience and in going into it. No, I've, I've, and compared to like everything else that we've been watching or reading and seeing and, and, and seeing adaptations done well. Yeah, my expectations were kind of, their baseline is higher now. I do think this is suffering from my reaction. We're nearly at the end of recording this season and we've watched a lot and listened and read to a lot of different adaptations and different retellings of the Iliad and a couple of the Odyssey. And unfortunately, this is definitely one of the more poorly done ones. We've seen some really great writing and some really great cinematography and video work and like Troy, Fall of a City. Loved it. It was I, great. Helen of Troy. Hilarious. Probably not deliberately so, but hilarious. This was just bad. And it, it kind of, it makes me, I mean, not sad, sad, but it's a little disappointing because I love the Odyssey. And we've said so many times while recording and while talking about the Iliad material we've been going through, someone needs to do more of the Odyssey because it's such a great story. And this is that great story completely ignored <laughs> just kind of using the same name so yeah it was a little disappointing yeah. this is one of those instances where i think i would just be like you know if you heard me complaining and saying oh i want more odyssey this is where i would be like actually stop i don't want any more no thank you no 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 would you recommend someone who has no expectations to watch it if we strip away the fact that we are classicists and that we've read the original source material and seen other adaptations if this movie that came on and you've never seen it or if you just sort of saw it and you picked it would you recommend them to watch based on just its entertainment factor honestly no it was kind of boring again it's a movie that i would probably enjoy watching with a group of friends and a glass of something alcoholic but if you're looking for a fun enjoyable movie or even just an enjoyable movie because they can be enjoyable without being fun no, it wasn't good. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't good. And unlike Helen of Troy, it wasn't bad enough to be amusing. It was just kind of bad. 
and and very confusing. Very confusing. I'm still not entirely sure what I just watched. How about you? Do you have a more charitable view of it? Would you recommend it to someone with the caveat that this is just a bad film? Yes, I think I would only because and I don't know if it's because of the sort of nostalgic factor that this was when Lexi was actually a baby classicist, not even a baby classicist because she was still in high school. I would definitely say it's shitty. The script is awful. It looks kitschy. But if you want to just watch something mindless, literally mindless. You could even like watch it while doing the housework because it doesn't matter that you can't hear the script while you're vacuuming. So I guess I'm going to be more charitable and say... I think it's worth a watch just once in your life. Don't read into it too much. Don't bother with paying like super heavy attention. But you know, if I was someone who'd never experienced uh, any of this stuff before, it's at least it's just kind of funny entertaining. You're just going to watch it and, and insult people the whole way if you want. Or you know what? No, this is the kind of film where if you are a very irreverent atheist, sort of like myself, you can watch it and just insult and poke fun at all the Christian references that they try so hard. So, so if that's your jam, if you just want to watch a bunch of movies with bad Christian allegory, it's a lot more entertaining to make fun of this one than something that's actually that's good. True. Like I tried watching Narnia. I tried watching Narnia and trying to make fun of the Christian allegory, but then... Of course, I just ended up freaking loving Aslan. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, stop. This is horrible. So, yeah, if you want something that you can actually just make fun of. Watch this. I would, I would definitely say. So, I don't know how soon I'll be watching this one again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been about 15 years or so since I watched it the first time. Maybe 15 years in the future, then. We'll sit down and watch it together. Then. Yes. Or, okay, fine. I'll watch it again sooner. If we get together when I come back to the States and we have our alcoholic beverages and our, like, shitty pizza at 3 a.m., let's watch it. But if I'm not doing it with a friend to make fun of it alone, give me another 15 years, please. Um, maybe, possibly longer. Overall, I would just say, as an Odyssey adaptation, it's very disappointing because it's not really the Odyssey at all. It has elements and they mention certain things, and, but it's not accurate. And ugh. As a film on its own, overall, it's not even vaguely super entertaining. I mean, you get like some action sequences. They could have done so much. You know, I would like to see them either do a Helen of Troy with it or a movie that's so bad it was good, I find, was Gods of Egypt, right? Because gods turning into like literal metal creatures flying and swooping around i was like okay this is horrible but it was so bad that it was actually very entertaining and i really actually liked it so yeah i would have liked to see them do something because my overall main critique is that it is one of those films that clearly the premise blends to be something sort of silly and they went way too serious it's a film that takes itself way too seriously there's no levity and so if they just had lightened up it would have been a much more pleasant viewing experience so that's kind of my overall sort of final thoughts and i was super super sad agreed on that not depressing note but realistic note i think thank you all for joining yeah. us if you've watched this thank and you've you. actually enjoyed it for the love of god email me and tell me why and how not because i think you're a crazy person but because if you can enjoy something like this i would like genuinely like to know how because uh, I feel like that's a useful life skill. Yeah, I do yeah, too. So tell I'm us. Morbidly curious. So, yeah, but otherwise, uh, tune in next week for 
another adaptation of the odyssey that hopefully will be better but my hopes are not very high because just reading the synopsis of the next one i don't think it's gonna be good but you know here's hoping i will be an eternal optimist fingers crossed anyway join us next week hey thanks for listening don't forget to leave us a review and you can also follow us on social media at the reading party podcast if you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm-hmm.